Good morning. Today is June 1st, 2020. Our readings for this morning are Psalm 72, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20, and Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 6. Today, we commemorate the visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'll, I'll read to you about that from the Episcopal Dictionary of the Church in just a moment. But let me say that, so normally it's on May 31st, but of, cur- of course, because of the way things fell um, this year, yesterday, May 31st was Pentecost. And so instead of celebrating Pentecost and the visitation on the same day, um, the church calendar moved the visitation to today. So that also um, the readings for the visitation, we normally would have read um, together because, you know, I, I try to on the eve of important feast day or on the eve of feast days, read the readings with you. Psalm 132, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10 and Hebrews 2, 11 through 18 last night. Um, We didn't read them together because we read the evening prayer for the day of Pentecost. If you read them on your own, then you've kind of got the context of the flow it's supposed to go, or you could pause now and read them. So again, that's Psalm 132, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, and Hebrews 2, 11 through 18 for the eve of the visitation Um, which was last night. Then this morning, as I said, we read morning prayer uh, for morning prayer. We read Psalm 72, 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 20, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. If you were celebrating or your church was celebrating the visitation at, with Eucharist today, which not, um, Not many churches are truly celebrating Eucharist right now, um, which is a whole nother conversation. But at any rate, um, those readings, just as, as um, any Sunday or any feast day, the Eucharistic lectionary is different from the daily prayer lectionary, and the two are meant to go together. So like we would read this morning our morning prayer, then at the Eucharist, there would be read Psalm 113, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16b, and the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 57. And that's the central um, reading for today is that Gospel reading. Then this evening, we read Psalms 146 and 147. Zechariah 2, 18, or 10 through 13, and John 3, 25 through 30, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 25 through 30. So I know that kind of sounds like a lot of gobbledygook when I'm saying it, but remember that morning, or the daily office, there are special readings for morning prayer and evening prayer, and they bracket the lectionary readings on special feast day. So today is a good day for a lot of reading if you would like to do it. 
what we will read here together today, because this is the daily office and this is morning prayer, are the readings for morning prayer. But I might reference in morning prayer those readings for the eve, if because we would have read them last night. And again, we don't read together all of the time, so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this time that we have together too, absolutely. Um, but I'm thankful that you bear with me as we kind of sort through the way our day would go if we were blessed enough to be in a prayer community um, in the time and space where we got to say together all of the offices and celebrate all of the Eucharists and the feasts. So um, we can do that together, even even over the distance. And so I am, I am again, incredibly grateful. We will today say both morning and evening prayer, which I don't always do, but um, because it is a feast day, um, just as I did yesterday, because it was a special day, we'll say both morning and evening prayer. So all of, all of that being sorted, thank you, friends. Here is what the Dictionary of the Episcopal Church, ha- or the an Episcopal Dictionary of the Church has to say about the visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, records that at the time of the Annunciation, Mary learned her relative Elizabeth was miraculously pregnant. Mary went to visit Elizabeth and greeted her. At this greeting, the child leaped in Elizabeth's womb. Her child was John the Baptist. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She greeted Mary as the mother of God and exclaimed that Mary and the child in her womb were blessed. Mary responded with the song of praise known as the Magnificat. My soul magnifies God and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Liturgical celebration of the visitation dates from the 14th century. This feast was included on July 2nd as a black letter day in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. The visitation is now celebrated as a feast of our Lord on May 31st, or in our case, on June 1st. Let us begin on page 78 of the Book of Common Prayer. Thus says the High and Lofty One who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with the one who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite. Dearly beloved, we have come together in the presence of Almighty God, our Heavenly Creator, to set forth God's praise, to hear God's holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others those things that are necessary for our life and our salvation. And so that we may prepare ourselves in heart and mind to worship God, let us kneel in silence and with penitent and obedient hearts confess our sins, that we may obtain forgiveness by God's infinite goodness and mercy. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, 
have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through the grace of Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. O God, let our mouth proclaim your praise and your glory all the day long. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Worship God in the beauty of holiness. Come, let us adore them. Be joyful in God, all you lands. Serve God with gladness and come before their presence with a song. Know this, they themselves is God. They themselves has made us and we are theirs. We are their people and the sheep of their pasture. Enter their gates with thanksgiving. Go into their courts with praise. Give thanks to them and call upon their name. For God is good, their mercy is everlasting and their faithfulness endures from age to age. Worship God in the beauty of holiness. Come, let us adore them. Psalm 72 Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May his foes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all day long. May there be abundance of grain in the land, may it wave on the tops of the mountains, may its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue, as long as the sun, may all nations be blessed in him. May they pronounce him happy. 
Blessed be God, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be God's glorious name forever. May God's glory fill the, hurl, fill the whole earth. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, son of Jesse, are ended. A reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the God of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were were priests of God. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though God had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely, to irritate her, because God had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of God, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before God. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of God. She was deeply distressed and prayed to God and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O God of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before God, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved. But her voice was not heard, therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before God. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition that you have made to them. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before God. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and God remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of God. Here with the Spirit is saying to God's people, Thanks be to God. Canticle C, the Song of Hannah. My heart exalts in you, O God. My triumph song is lifted in you. My mouth derides my enemies, for I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like you, nor any rock to be compared to you, our God. 
Do not heap up prideful words or speak in arrogance. Only God is knowing and weighs all actions. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the weak are clothed in strength. Those once full now labor for bread. Those who hungered now are well fed. The childless woman has borne sevenfold, while the mother of many is forlorn. God destroys and brings to life, casts down and raises up, gives wealth or takes it away, humbles and dignifies. God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with the rulers and inherit a place of honor. For the pillars of the earth are God's, on which the whole earth is founded. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in a heavenly calling, consider that Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, was faithful to the one who appointed them, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Yet Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that would be spoken later. Christ, however, was faithful over God's house as a son, and we are God's house if we hold firm the confidence and the pride that belong to hope. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Let us affirm our faith together. We will use as we have been the affirmation of faith written by John Schiminger for St. John's Grace Episcopal based on Ephesians 3, 14-17. We believe in God the nurturer and teacher from whom is named every family in heaven and on earth. We believe in Jesus Christ begotten of divine love who lives in our hearts through faith and fills us with that love. We believe in God, the Holy Spirit, who strength, she strengthens us with power from on high. We believe in one God, source of all being, love incarnate, spirit of truth. Amen. Hear our cry, O God, and listen to our prayer. Let us pray. Our Creator in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your sovereignty come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the sovereignty, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We will use suffrages set A found on page 97 of the Book of Common Prayer. Show us your mercy, O God, and grant us your salvation. Clothe your ministers with righteousness. Let your people sing with joy. Give peace, O God, in all the world, for only in you can we live in safety. God, keep this nation under your care and guide us in the way of justice and truth. Let your way be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. Let not the needy, O God, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and sustain us with your Holy Spirit. 
Creator in heaven, by your grace, the Virgin Mother of your incarnate Son was blessed in bearing him, but still more blessed in keeping your word. Grant us who honor the exalt grant us who honor the exaltation of her lowliness to follow the example of her devotion to your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you as eternal life and to serve you as perfect freedom, defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries, through the might of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. O God, ruler eternal, whose light divides the day from the night and turns the shadow of death into the morning. Drive far from us all wrong desires, incline our hearts to keep your law, and guide our feet into the way of peace, that having done your will with cheerfulness during the day, we may, when night comes, rejoice to give you thanks. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. God, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Now is the time when I usually share a few thoughts on the scripture reading. My mind is just um, so, so full right now, so forgive me if I fail to succinctly synthesize all the thoughts that I have um, from the many readings and from the life experiences. I, I will admit that I am feeling a bit overwhelmed at the moment, and so I fall upon the grace and mercy of God. So looking first at our psalm, it's interesting here that um, the last verse tells us that the prayers of David are ended, but at least according to my commentary, and I think we can, we can check that ourselves, more than a dozen psalms also attributed to David follow this one. So this is important evidence, and this is a direct quote from the commentary, for the growth of the book of psalms over time. And that can be a lot of factors, right? That could be the dis- discovery of or the remembering of more psalms attributed to David and incorporating them. But our Bible has 
grown and been translated and had things added and removed over time. And it is very much a holy text, but the holy, the holy words of God, the ones that are written on our heart and in and on our very beings, I think, are the ones that, that are translated and written especially for us in the moment that we need them by the Holy Spirit. And may we, when we look upon this text, receive the message that God has for us right now. So this psalm is speaking about an earthly ruler, but a ruler who is a godly and holy ruler. When we've read this before, I've talked about this psalm being an example of what a good ruler should be. Um, there is a piece of writing going around. Uh, forgive me if I, if I don't give the full source because um, I haven't read it myself. It came up in conversation this morning or yesterday morning after church. But um, writing that talks about uh, what what it would be like if we had a good leader, and it uses some of the quotes um, of those that we consider to be great leaders in our history. And by ours, I don't just mean American. I think, I think it refers to those in other countries as well. And, and what their response was in times of crisis. We have here a real example of how a ruler treats their people. And I think these two things are connected that we are we are really always seeking to be led and when we don't follow Christ it's easy to really feel the lack of good leadership or it's easy to become over dependent on a leader and to treat that leader as though they are Christ. And it's important for us to remember that, and you guys have heard me, I, I, I replace the word Lord because it's a very, um, it, it's, it's a gender specific word and it's male. And I don't think that that is helpful right now. Um, I think that is exclusionary. I think we have to remember that God is not gendered. But the message that I try to preserve, especially when I swap the word Lord, Lord for the word ruler, is that God is the greatest leader, the highest leader, the ultimate authority. Because God is the authority not just over our lives, but over our souls, over all of us, our entire divine being. And in all times, not just here in the time that we are on earth, but eternally. And so, in the inspired word in our scripture, when we are given an example 
of what a good earthly ruler looks like, I think that, that now is really a time to take that to heart and to wear our current earthly leaders have fallen short and let me say here this some leaders are better than others in that some leaders lead us toward holiness towards goodness and justice and all of these good things some leaders leaders that I personally would consider bad lead us away from holiness, harmony, peace, justice, fruitfulness, um, togetherness. And these can be leaders at all levels um, and groups of leaders too. Any, any powerful um, organizations with authority, we can, we can see both as the leadership of the individuals within them and then also the group leadership. And this can come down to leaders um, at a very personal level as well. Leaders in our homes, our bosses in our jobs, anyone with authority. And all of us have authority of some kind, even when it doesn't seem like. So this is an example for us both to follow and also to be. And so some things of note for me. And before I get to that real quick, I just want to further make the point that God, that God fills the gaps and that the Holy Spirit, and we just yesterday celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit upon us. The Holy Spirit guides us. Um, in the military, there's this kind of clause that when given an order and it is an unlawful order, the subordinate does not have to follow it. Now, there's a whole lot more that has to do with that. But I would say that we as people of free will can choose not to follow ungodly leadership in our lives. I'm reminded of when my son was growing up and the Southern community that we were in, in his um, very early years, really placed an overvalue on the nuclear family and the importance of a father figure for, um, for boys, even going so far as to attribute my son's disability to his lack of a father, um, which you can imagine was unhelpful. And I did a, a lot of research, you know, both reading and then also asking of the experts, um, that I knew about this. I didn't want Jack to be growing up with a deficit. And there was a book, I don't even remember what the name was. It was a book that I sat in the Barnes and Noble and read while Jack played with the trains at the, um, 
in the kids section. And the book said, among other things, that boys without fathers in the home have the opportunity to choose which fatherly figures they will follow. They can pick and choose um, because they are not so focused on one that is present in a dominant way. So for example, boys have coaches and teachers and all other sorts of male figures in their lives and they can exercise more easily their free will and followership by choosing which traits they will take themselves. And so early on, I think Jack was about five, early on, we started talking about that. We'd started talking when he was about three about his not having a father in the home. And I've probably shared this story before, but it was so poignant to me that Jack's knowledgeable response, you know, from, from the mouth of a three-year-old out of the back seat of the car, he said, mom, I know my father. And I said, oh, really? And he said, yes, we pray to him every night because we had made part of our bedtime routine and our prayers, our father who art in heaven. And he got it. And I will say that we have found many blessings in our family of two and a half. We count the dog as the half. Um, I'm sorry that that's offensive in either direction. But, but so early on, we, we really talked about this. And with intentionality, Jack began to filter the input of the leaders in his life. I remember talking about his, his peewee football coach and, and what, um, what resonated with him, what felt true to him in the way that that coach, um, comported his himself and, and, and the things that he said to the team. So both the messages and then the way the messages were transmitted And Jack was able to filter that and kind of take some of it and leave some of it. And that way of filtering, I truly believe with the help of the Holy Spirit, whether or not he would have called it that at five years old, and the innate knowledge of his own divine self, which he definitely wouldn't have said at five, but I think is also truth, is a really valuable tool because... Too often, we allow just everything to speak into our lives. And that is not only an overwhelming amount of information. We can't, we can't do all of it, right? We can't follow the example of all of the leaders because it is conflicting. We've got to follow, you know, just like we can't follow every diet because they conflict, right? We have to figure out what is truth for us what is helpful for us, what guides us in the path of holiness, what points us towards God. 
And so too, I think that we need to do that as adults and our, our filter shouldn't just be what political party is this person from or what denomination is this person from. Where I personally struggle is that it's difficult for me if a leader and I disagree on a particular point not to throw everything else out, right? And you've heard me talk before about one of my really dear friends who has a different perspective and faith background than I do. <coughs> and she has been so helpful in, in helping me learn that, as she says, you eat the meat and you spit out the bones. You keep what, what is nourished, nourished and you let go of the, of the rest, um, one of the areas in which I've really struggled with this is with faith leaders who decry homosexuality. It's really hard for me to follow the advice, for example, of a, a group that is focused on spiritual healing when they also consider homosexuality as a sin to be spiritually healed of. It's, it's hard for me because I so vehemently disagree with this. Um, I don't believe that that's God's will. It's really difficult for me to set that piece aside and then to follow maybe the guidance or example on how that group has, has been the conduit for healing of things like physical impairments, right? So today I'm really affirmed by being able to read this psalm that outlines for us what a good ruler looks like. And I would posit that if we look for it and we ask for God's eyes to see, we will be shown examples in right now, in this, in this very difficult time right now, we will be shown examples to follow. We will be given examples of leadership to follow. And so with this one here today, what speaks to me so much um, is verse 6. May the ruler be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. This speaks to me because it's reminiscent of a tool that we use in spiritual discernment to tell whether the message is from the Holy Spirit or the message is from the counter-inspirer or um, the evil spirit or Satan or whatever name by which you want to call that, that source. And one of the tools is to sit, sit in your fully grounded in God's love in your body and to tap into how it feels to receive that message. Does it feel shocking and jarring and cold like a splat of water on a rock? Or does it feel 
warm and gentle like water seeping into a sponge. And this descriptor is very similar to the ruler here. Now we see strength in our culture as being like that sharp, decisive splat, that jarringness, that shockingness. And I, I believe that that is not in general, the way overall of leadership that the messages that we get from true and, and holy leadership are gentle they seep into us. Um, and so I think that the response in this time of there, the events of the world right now are shocking. And right now we are shocked and dismayed over the murder of George Floyd. We are shocked and dismayed over the pandemic and all that goes along with it. Um, the response to the pandemic, the death and suffering of the pandemic, um, even, even things like reporting of the pandemic and, and how things have been worse than maybe they needed to be. And all of this is kind of tied up together and it is all shocking and confusing and disturbing. And, and yet through the Holy Spirit, we are led in a way to respond that we can we can know is truth, even when it's difficult, even when the message is to take an action that we are frightened to take. It is, it is like a gift that is being handed to us as opposed to like a slap in the face. And I, forgive me if I'm not describing this entirely well, but the message of a real and holy leader, when they stand up and share with us, it, the awakening is like dawn breaking within us and we can feel that in our bodies. Um, and, and maybe we can follow this example by when we, we talked last night about sharing with each other, right? Um, just like the woman at the well shared her experience with Jesus. Let's share with each other. And, and one way that we can transmit is to do this in a way that is gentle because it can be received so much more easily. And I don't mean sidestepping around it. I believe that you can be direct and also gentle and that one of the ways that is so important to doing that um, is covered a little bit later on the psalm. For the ruler delivers the needy, this is verse 12, when they call the poor and those who have no helper. 13, the ruler has pity on the weak and needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, the ruler redeems their life and precious is their blood in the ruler's sight. 
And Jesus goes even further. Jesus does not have pity, but he has compassion. And we talked about this in yesterday's readings too, that, that Christ became one of us and therefore had that shared experience so all of this wraps up together into what I've, what I've referred to before as meeting people where they are. When we create a safe space and come into that space with people, when we, when we speak to them in language they can understand in their current context, we are, we are more able to deliver that message gently. And in this way the ruler has or the leader has the endurance talked about in verse five is while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations, this is, this is then the message that we need to really place in people's hearts and in their, in the inheritance that's passed down generation to generation. This is the way that we overcome the sin of generation to generation, the discrimination and the bias and the injustice and the oppression and the abuse that we've passed down from generation to generation. And we need to own that as a community, as a cultural community. My son really struggles with this. Um, and I think we all do. I think we all want to believe I am not the one who visited injustice on someone else. I am not racist. But the fact is that we are part of a community and a people that has, has been and is racist and, opp- and oppressive and abusive. So the first step is an awareness of that. And then next, we need to overcome that. But we don't overcome it with violence. We overcome it, as we talked about yesterday, with Jesus's third way the way of active resistance. And we start rewriting the story, rewriting the false stories, the false narratives with the truth. And the truth is love. And so we start right here, right now, by meeting people where they are in a place where they are bereft of love and speaking love to them including ourselves. We meet ourselves in the divine and sacred space of our souls and we speak love to our own selves and to those closest to us and to all of those that we encounter. Even when it's really hard, we speak love and we do it gently. And that doesn't mean that we we tell half-truths or or we come at it sideways, we just do it with love. We speak, maybe that, that doesn't quite make sense to, to speak love with love, but, but we speak love. Um, and, and we share this with compassion We really have to first no matter what group we're from or what level of society we're from we must first approach 
the recipient. We can't throw the gift at them from afar. You can't, can't shout love across the canyon. You have to, as Brene Brown would say, you have to get up close. I'm sorry I went on really long about, about, um, about the psalm this morning, but I think it's, it's so important, and I hope there was something in there that was, that was useful to you, my friends. Thank you very much for listening. Now we get to the story of Hannah and her prayer for a child. And this is the precursor to Mary and and um, and her conception of Jesus. Because the visitation tells us about Elizabeth's miraculous conception and the recognition of John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb of Jesus in Mary's womb. And as we go and draw the parallel here, this is one of several stories of a barren woman who bears a child um, miraculously. My commentary says as a favor from God. Um, this a similar story is told of Sarah, of Rebecca, of Rachel, and then of Elizabeth, as we just talked about. What stands out to me here is that Hannah immediately dedicates Samuel back to God. She promises to give Samuel to God, and she does. And we, we read that later in this story. And, and I think this is a beautiful reminder that our children belong to God and we have a divine mandate to care for them and to guide them in the way of God and lead them in paths of holiness, to circle back to being leaders, um, while we are here on this earth together. And as we also talked about when we were reading the psalm, the way of holy leadership is, is the way of love. And that is, that is not always easy, especially in this time when we are, we are isolated. You know, I think about my poor son has been stuck at home doing his schoolwork all day, every day. And last week he was stuck at home in 90 degree weather with no air conditioning. And yeah, I get if we want to delve into comparative suffering here, no air conditioning is a very first world problem. But I'm, I'm not going down that path. I'm acknowledging that it's, it's difficult to be hot and tired because we're not getting good sleep when we've got all this other stuff going on and the dog's not used to having the windows open at night. So he's barking his head off because he can see and smell the rabbits and whatever. And so isolated, tired, working hard, 
to receive the online instruction um, and hot, right? So it, it was a difficult time and I definitely had to meet Jack with love and compassion in that space. And I definitely failed a couple times last week. Absolutely. And I asked and prayed for grace and mercy and for God to step in and to redeem where I had fallen short in my humanity, even though I'm doing the best I can, right? We're all at any given moment doing the best we can. And I will tell you that God showed up and did that and that Jack and I came out of a very difficult week with some really beautiful blessings and some really important lessons. And I believe that we are that one more glory transformed closer to God and also bonded to each other in, um, in the very holy relationship of parent and child. And that is a relationship of, of, of leadership like no other, right? Leadership and love like no other. So I'm thankful for this example of Hannah that reminds us that our children are gods and that we, we bear and raise them with God's grace. And so we're not doing it alone. Whether we're single parents or we're parenting in, in a community where, you know, where we have grandparents and helpers and lots of, no matter how many people we have that are examples of leaders to follow in our child's life. We have at the center of that, the ultimate parent, the ultimate leader, God. And that is grace immeasurable. And that should be very comforting to us in this time. This is a difficult time to be raising a child, absolutely. And it's hard to explain the things that are going on. But by with the grace and mercy of the Holy Spirit, we have what we need to lead. And especially our children, that this next generation may overcome those counter-inspiring stories of racism and abuse and that they may be different. And breaking that cycle starts here. Now, our reading from Hebrews talks about family in a different way. Um, It talks about us as children of God along with Christ, so Christ's very siblings. And I love the way the first verse describes us, holy partners in a heavenly calling. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that collaborative relationship with Christ described so well here? So this mission of bringing in the new era of love is is given to us along with Christ. So you've heard me describe this in many different ways, that we collaborate with Christ, we cooperate with Christ, we are co-conspirators in the Universal Christ Project. All of this, I think, is summed up here, holy partners in a heavenly calling. And so, as it says in our last verse, in in the second part of verse 6, hold firm the confidence and the pride that belong to hope. 
So as we talked about last night, do not dismay. Don't be distracted by discouragement. I know it feels overwhelming, but we have the hope that is holy, the hope that motivates and inspires us to action. So have confidence, have confidence that God has given us what we need to accomplish this mission, the mission of love, and that, and have, have a holy pride, the pride that comes from knowing that we are siblings of Christ and we work alongside Christ. This is, this is a very holy pride and a holy work, you know, so if you think about when you are doing work that you love and you are on a great team, you have great pride in everything that that team accomplishes. So we've talked about all kinds of things today. And I want to leave you with this. Have eyes to see, see with God's vision, all the things that this holy partnership of us, the community of God, the siblings of Christ are working towards in the way of love. God, let us see. Let us see the positive impact of this on the world. And let us be inspired. Let us, let us be inspired and encouraged by those glimpses of God's sovereignty, God's leadership, and what we as followers of God and partners with Christ have accomplished, are accomplishing, and work towards. Give us those touchstones, those reminders, those insights that our strength may be bolstered and we may go forward. And that's just a beautiful note, I think, for us to end on today, dear friends. Thank you so much for journeying with me for listening to me verbally process all these things. I hope that it is helpful for you. It is certainly helpful and encouraging for me. So with holy confidence and pride and our eyes fixed on the hope of Christ, the hope that, that we know is fulfilled in Christ's coming, let us recognize, let us recognize and see God in each other today. And let us move forward together. Let us be good leaders of ourselves, of our families, of those we encounter who are sorely looking, looking for hope. Let us reflect God's love. Let us be transmitters of Christ's love today. I love you, my friends. Thank you. Almighty God, God of all mercies, we, your partners, your holy partners, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the means of grace and for the hope of glory, 
And, we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Let us bless God. Thanks be to God. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.